Hi, welcome to Swordnut Radio. If you want to get in touch with us, it's swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. Or at swordnutradio on Twitter. Just tell us who you are, where you're from, and give us a random fact and we'll give you a shout out on the show. This episode is a short story following on from episode 18, Accumulating Debts, and is titled, Waiting. Nate surveyed the damage. None dead, just five fellows would be very angry when they got up. He stood considering for a second, his hand unconsciously strained to his knife. Thank you, sir, said the stranger, extending his hand. Nate was shaken from his thoughts for the moment and looked into the stranger's eyes. There he saw a man who would not stand by to see unconscious men murdered. That made it easier for Nate to leave them. It was a mistake, but Nate was no more a murderer than this man. Nate, he replied, taking the stranger's hand. We'd best get moving. These fellows will not be out forever. He held the stranger's hand for perhaps too long and let it go. Stephen, said the stranger. But where? Your lady friend got out of here fairly quickly. Does she have somewhere safe to go? Nate could see the man was not prepared for flight. He was not carrying his things and was clearly taken slightly aback by the suggestion of leaving. Nate was getting uneasy hanging around men who were going to kill them as soon as they woke up. Taking Stephen by the arm, he hurried him from the yard out into the street. They went north, through a small alley that had once been a stable block for a wagoner's outfit. When they were no longer within sight of the inn, Nate slowed them down to a fast walk, looking around and up at the rooftops. Stephen let himself be led from the yard, caught up in the moment. He was still giddy from the fight, adrenaline still making his teeth feel like they were vibrating in his head. In the space of less than a minute, he had risked his life for two complete strangers, and had been saved by the same strangers, only to have one of them disappear in a heartbeat. This wasn't how it usually went in the stories. Now he was running through the streets, presumably looking for this Nate's wife, or whatever she was. Strange thing was, Nate was looking up more than around. As they rounded the corner at the end of the alley, a figure stepped out of the recessed doorway ahead. It was the girl. What do you think you're doing? She asked Nate. He did help us out, he replied. Wouldn't do to leave him to the tender mercies of whoever it is you upset. We can't afford to spend time looking after anyone besides ourselves right now, and you know it, she replied. By now Stephen's heart was slowing down and the adrenaline draining out of him, leaving him feeling tired and slightly lightheaded. In fact, he was more than a bit annoyed that this girl had still not thanked him for saving her life. He stepped forward, addressing the young woman. Look, he said, I don't know what you're involved in, but I can take care of myself and you clearly have things to discuss, so I'll take my leave. He turned to Nate. Once again, you have my thanks for what you did with the dwarf. Turning away, he started to go back to the inn, intending to enter by the front door, avoiding the yard. The thugs would be waking up sometime now. It was unlikely they had seen his face clearly, and they probably wouldn't want another fight any time soon. Nate grabbed his shoulder, turning him around. Stephen, you got involved with some very dangerous people tonight. They will try to kill you, and they will succeed. They cannot afford to let people go around, beating their goons and getting away with it. Turning back to the girl, his voice took a slightly harsher tone. He saved your life and mine tonight with no thought of danger or profit, and if you don't think you owe him, I bloody do. They held eye contact in silence for a while, before something in the girl gave. Fine, she said to Nate, then turned to Stephen. My name is Ellen. If you want to stay alive past the end of the week, you will come with me and do what I say. Come on. Leading the two men through the city at a walk, Ellen was annoyed. True, this guy had helped save them, but he had proved himself an idiot by doing so. 
that Ellen had been forced to admit she owed him settled a bit uncomfortably with her. And now, she was going to have to put him up in a safe house she had so carefully kept secret for the last four years. He was an unknown as well. Nate could be counted on. He'd proven himself a hundred times over the years. But this Stephen, or whatever, guy, could not. Ellen stopped herself before the thoughts started running over themselves. Live through the night, then sort your problems out. Part of her wanted to speed them up, but running tended to draw attention to yourself, even at this time of night, and you couldn't hear someone coming around the corner if you were running. They stopped next to a group of houses near the outer wall of the city that formed a solid block. She turned to Stephen. Right, watch me climb up in the corner there, she said, pointing to a part of the building that lay in its own shadow, not visible from any of the surrounding windows. There are some small handholds about every foot. Take your time, because if you make a noise, we will be in trouble. Stephen nodded back at her without making comment. For a wonder, all three made it up to the roof without breaking their necks. Ellen hated climbing on rooftops. Sometimes it was necessary for the job, but it was always risky, given the state of some of the roofs in the city. And if you're walking in the streets, you usually don't die if you fall over. Leading them down to the centre of the block, Ellen pried open a small slatted window between the roof of one building and the slightly lower roof of the next. The gap was just wide enough to slip through. Once they were all inside, and Ellen had shut the window, plunging them into total darkness, she fumbled with something metallic sounding until a spark appeared, followed by another that took in the lantern. Looking around, Nate could see that this area of the building had apparently formed when the expanding bays around it had come together at odd angles, and this part of the older structure had become cut off from the rest. The result was a single room, with enough space for perhaps four people to sleep comfortably. There was no hearth or a place where a fire could be set, but the heat from the surrounding houses would mean that it would not be completely frozen in the winter. The shuttered window they had come through was actually larger than the gap they had to squeeze through, and could be opened to let light in during the day. There was a rolled blanket and a small package, probably food and water, in the corner. Cozy, said Nate, keeping his voice low, even though the walls looked thick enough to muffle sound. When did you find this? Last year, replied Ellen. There are a fair few places like this in the older parts of the city. She looked askance at Stephen, who was stood in the centre of the room. We'll get you out tomorrow morning. We'll get you out tomorrow morning, she said. The thugs you upset tonight don't have any sway outside the walls. Now, hang on, said Stephen, flustered by all the sudden changes in his plans. She interrupted him. If I'm not back in half an hour, you're on your own. Nate, educate the man. As she opened the window and slipped through the gap onto the roof. The two men let Ellen leave in silence. Turning to Stephen, Nate shrugged. What do you know? He said, unrolling the blanket and sitting with his back settled into the corner opposite the window. Stephen took a breath and sat cross-legged in the centre of the room. What's going on here? He asked. I honestly do not know, replied Nate. The men you beat up tonight are part of a criminal gang, but we don't have any dealings with them, at least not the sort that would upset them enough to want to kill us. Right, said Stephen, mostly to himself. He took a short pause before asking. Alright, who are you and... Ellen, look, I owe you a lot for what you did tonight, and I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can. Stephen arched one eyebrow at the change in the man's voice, but said nothing. Ellen and I have... He paused. Contact with some of the less desirable elements of the city. About a week ago, we got wind that someone was looking for Ellen. That person was someone she had no arrangements with, but for some reason wanted her brought in and strung up. We looked around, asked the right questions, trying to find out why. Usually when this sort of thing happens... Stephen's eyebrow went up again at that. 
It's because you did something, shall we say, a bit dodgy, and took someone else's business. Stephen nodded understanding. So you're saying, said Stephen, that you did something, stole something, or some such that someone else was after, and that person has more clout in the city than you. That is just the thing. We do not know. If it was as simple as that, we would know about it by now. Stephen paused, letting the silence grow slightly uncomfortable. Nathan obviously was not one to expand on a subject without prompting. He settled into a more comfortable sitting position, waiting for the return of Ellen, thinking around the problem they were facing, not knowing who was after them or why. Several obvious lines of inquiry occurred to him, but they'd probably already gone through those. They seemed intelligent enough. Snapping back into the present, Stephen thought to himself, Hang on a second, I don't have the first thing to do with all of this. Why am I thinking about this? He had come to the city three days before, intending to enlist with the king's army as an officer. As the youngest son of a noble, it was not unusual to want to adopt a military career which would provide a good income without having to resort to a craft, and did not require a large amount of capital to realise, as a trading concern would have. What was unusual was that Stephen had a title. The nobility were entitled to military command by default. He even had his own troops, quite separate from the king's army. But that was all a sham engineered by his father to ingratiate his mother's father, who had become a political nightmare. The city of Kerivo was ruled by its council, a common council, under the loose instruction of his father, the Earl. All his life, Stephen had felt like he'd had to prove himself to a father who did not care and had told him so. Over the years, that impulse had been guided by his tutors into a desire to earn his place in the world by being the best noble he could be. He applied himself to his studies, taking to the martial aspects of his training quickly, and gobbling up the histories in which his family had figured a small but prominent part. It had not gone so well with the economic aspects of his education, which seemed to contradict everything he'd been taught about law and justice. But he had striven hard until his tutors were satisfied that he would not bankrupt the city. In short, he was ready to start earning the position and privilege he had been given on his tenth birthday. Except that he did not have to. He could sit back and reap the benefits of income and rank with no influence or responsibility. Anyone else would have leapt at that life. To Stephen, it was a complete removal of his chance to earn any kind of honour, to live up to his name, and perhaps even take his place in the histories he loved. Great nobles in the histories were servants of the people. Those who cared only for their own comfort and power for its own sake had been reviled and their fates used as cautionary tales. Yet here he was, set up as exactly that. He had confronted the council, the military commander of the Kerava garrison, and finally his father. He had returned crestfallen, lacking any direction. The solution had come to him one evening out of the ether. Leave. Just leave. If he left aside the fact of his nobility, his options became clear. Just go and join the king's army, like any other noble son with no lands of his own. He already had a sword, horse, enough money to buy equipment and support himself in the field for six months, all that was required for officer's service. He was supposed to go to the palace to take service the next day, having indulged himself in experiencing the capital for a few days. Now, here were these strangers, telling him that, because he'd saved their lives, he had to leave all that behind. And for what, he thought? Irritating a few petty criminals. Even the people he had saved were criminals, and should be facing justice for whatever crimes they committed. Looking at Nate, that did not seem to ring true. Ellen had abandoned them at the first opportunity. But he had made a point of paying back Stephen's aid, and had stopped the dwarf from stabbing him, at risk to himself. Not the actions of a ruthless criminal. Stephen decided that, if he got out of here, he would not report any of this to the Watch, as would have been his duty. Nate had earned the benefit of the doubt at least, and he could not report what had transpired that night while excluding his part in it.
Eventually, Stephen looked Nate in the eye and spoke. Look, I realise you mean me well by getting me out of the city, but I have business at the palace. Nate's eyebrows rose briefly. I came here to join the King's army, and I'm sure that whoever this gang is, they will not act against an officer of the King. I may not even be in the city next week, depending on my post. I can see you won't want any attention, so I will not report this incident. Nate took all this information in with no further outward sign of surprise. All right, he replied. Well, Stephen had expected some sort of resistance. No, that's fair play, said Nate. I thought you were high-born, or rich at least, from your voice. I suppose you could go ahead and join the army if you want. You would be safe enough. Just wait a month somewhere out of the way before you come back. You will not be looked for by the gangs after that long. They will just think you left permanently. Hack the dwarf will still attack you on sight, but, like you say, you might not even be the city once you get a post. Stephen was feeling better already. He would just have to go by the inn to collect his things. He would return soon after Nate and Ellen had got him out of the city. No point in causing a fuss now. Do not think for a minute they wouldn't string you up tomorrow, though, said Nate, interrupting Stephen's train of thought. After a month, if you go straight to the palace and bunk there, no sightseeing, it is likely that none of the wrong people will see you. Ellen and I will likely be dead, and this mess will be over. That was said with such lack of emotion that Stephen was shocked into alertness. They would go after a king's officer, and have done so in the past, so do not think about coming back early. Stephen was stunned. Agreed he said, extending his hand. Nate took it, smiling, and just like that, the tension dissolved. So he upended the jug and downed a pint of it. Stephen rocked with silent laughter as Nate finished the story. You must be joking, he said when the mirth had subsided a bit. Well, replied Nathan, he would have lost the bet otherwise. He couldn't go out in public for a week though. Initially, the two had spent the time waiting for Ellen, exchanging fairly basic personal information, before running out of small talk, which was when the jokes had started. It turned out that Nate was originally from Sutton, a large town in the northwest of Anish, in the foothills below the same mountain range Stephen had grown up beneath. He had apparently had every job going, working his way through most of the country, going with the seasonal jobs before arriving in the capital, Karin, about seven years ago. He had come and gone since then, but the city had remained his hub of operations. Neither of the two men were comfortable with revealing more detailed information about themselves. Stephen especially keen to keep his title out of the conversation. After all, they were probably not going to see each other after tomorrow. The tug of sadness at that thought surprised Stephen. He'd only spent an hour with Nate, but his easy manner and similar sense of humour to Stephen had warmed him to the man. In the short time they had spent waiting for Ellen's return, he had gotten the sense that Nate was a good man, despite his dealings. He was enjoying his company and was beginning to genuinely like him. The mutual saving each other's lives had probably gone a long way towards that, and the shared adrenaline wearing off and making them a bit giddy has helped as well. Right, began Stephen. Fifteen guys walked into a bar, and they said to the barman... This story was written by Paul Bennett and Robert Sanderson, and is copyright 2015. The song was Shards of Glass by Louis Barabbas and the Bedlam Six. If you want to get in touch with us, it's swordnutradio at gmail.com. That's swordnutradio at gmail.com. Or get in touch on Twitter at swordnut. This story will be continued in the fourth chapter, A Light Goes On. Thanks for listening. <laughs>